Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. So glad you're here. I want to start with uh, a science experiment. It took place uh, over 120 years ago. The date is 1896, and Dr. George Stratton developed an interesting pair of spectacles that he asked a number of young men to wear. The spectacles basically altered your vision so that what was up was down and what was down was up. So you put on the spectacles and the sky would be down there and the ground would be up there. Everything was reversed, essentially, for up and down. Boy, I'm glad I wasn't part of that experiment. I I think I would have been nauseous within about five minutes, right? Uh, Oftentimes, even if I just pick up someone else's glasses with a mild prescription that's different than my vision, right? Can you imagine what that was like? The reason I bring this up, though, is something very interesting happened somewhere between the one week, and they had to wear the spectacles all their waking hours, Somewhere between the one-week and the two-week time frame, every single one of them, their mind remapped visually up and down, and things looked normal again. Now, some people, it happened a little quicker. Some people were around the seven- or eight-day mark. Some people were right out there at the two-week mark. But every single one of these young people, at some point during that period, started saying things look perfectly normal again. Guess what happened when they took the glasses off? (laughs) It took another couple weeks for their vision to return back to normal again. Well, now, you might be saying, well, that's all, you know, like, cool and all, Larry, and I appreciate your love of science, but why are we talking about this today? Well, uh, first of all, it was a pioneer not so much in vision, but in how our brain works. And it totally explains today why we can recover from something like a stroke where our brain is damaged. Our brain literally has the ability to reprogram itself, to find another spot up there in our head. And in the, in the case of this study, completely remap the visual cortex so that people would see in, uh, in a normal fashion. So, so first of all, this bodes really well for us. <laughs> It means something as fundamental as vision can be recreated in a different way in our own brains. So when we talk on Sunday about changing our thinking, and sometimes that seems so very hard to get out of old patterns, I'm here to tell you the brain science supports categorically our ability to change our thinking. We have the capability in our brains of completely remapping our current set of beliefs. And the the biology, the brain science is 100% behind that. There's also, though, a little bit of the bad news in this story, and I want to talk about that as well, because that also relates to our ability to use our thinking to produce different results in the world. And that is that there's something about our consciousness that likes things to be the same. 
And so it wasn't so much that I find interesting that our brain could remap itself, although that's hugely important and explains all kinds of, of healing when brain damage occurs. But wasn't it interesting that the brain did whatever it could to get us back seeing the way things we thought should appear, right? There's a kind of gravity to our set of beliefs that we will actually ignore changes in our environment in order to hold on to a belief that we have that the world or ourselves or other people or whatever it is, is a certain way. And we will actually disregard evidence to the contrary around that in order to maintain the way we think things ought to be. So this whole brain thing I think is really interesting. There's first the consciousness, if you will, that idea of the way things should be, and then our brain will literally jump through hoops in order to bring that version uh, of the way we think things should be into light. So do you see how this is both a good news and a bad news thing? The capability for completely remapping the way we think, the way we believe, the way we do things in the world, completely there, proven in any number of studies. And at the same time, our consciousness, unless we actively work on it, will attempt to keep portraying the version of reality that we currently have. So have you ever uh, met anyone that it just seemed a little out of touch with reality? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't even need to do the joke today, apparently. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, though, they weren't out of touch with their reality. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, are you willing to believe that as likely as not, you are one of those people? Right? You are literally manufacturing, to a large degree, your version of reality. And anyone who has brothers or sisters and cousins... Uh, just automatically knows this because years later you'll compare something that happened when you were 12 and your, your sister, your brother, your cousin will go, nah, that's not what happened. Mom did this and dad did that, right? And it's as different as night and day uh, and you were both there. And so you're literally your reality of those events completely dependent. And you'll even swear, no, I saw it. It really happened. <laughs> and they'll swear, no, it really didn't happen. And I was there too. And, uh, and that is what our brain is capable of doing. So we've been working for two months now, essentially, on this idea of changing our thinking so that we can have a better outcome in the world. The belief that our thoughts will become things, but then how do we change those thoughts? How do we have a different perspective? How can our consciousness change in order for the outside world to correspond to that. And today I want to talk about some of the thorny issues of this because there is that tendency for our brains to want to keep things the way they are. I want to use an example that I hope will clarify how things work. 
Imagine, if you will, how a sculptor might create a beautiful uh, likeness of the human form in marble. Now, there are a couple different ways, I think, that logically we could approach this not being sculptors. Well, and, and maybe some of you are sculptors. I shouldn't assume that no one here is a sculptor. But there are a couple ways that a novice, at least, would approach that. One is to look at this block of marble and see how it isn't like the thing I want it to be. Well, we know the human form doesn't have hard edges, right? So one of the things we would start to do is chisel away at the hard edges of this block of stone. Uh, And over time, it would begin to reveal the figure that we're choosing to create, right? We would recognize that that human flesh is smooth, and so we'd want to make the surfaces after we've chiseled away the rough form more smooth, and, and so on and so forth. We would work, in a sense, from the outside in, chipping away that which isn't what we want. And I would suggest that we actually use that methodology for a large part of our lives. Don't we notice the things that aren't working well in our lives and try to correct them? So we notice that maybe a relationship is a little on the rocky side. So maybe we bone up on our communication skills to try to to correct that flaw. Maybe we notice that to uh, get the promotion at work that we need to uh, beef up our skill set. And so we'll go to school to learn how to do some new skills or something to qualify for a better job. So I think real familiar to us, the idea that we look for the flaws, we look for what isn't working and try to improve on that. There's a problem here. If our methodology in general is to look on the outside of things and find fault for it, do you see that there will always be faults? You're always in that methodology of finding what is the least satisfying and putting a lot of attention on it. You're always in that process of, well, the relationship has rockiness in it, or the job isn't what it could be, or uh, what, you know, whatever it might be. You're in that position of finding fault and then putting all of your energy into it and hopefully making some progress. Okay, now I want to portray another way that a sculptor might go about creating something. And that would be to start out by closing their eyes and really picturing the finished project, really sensing what it would look like, how it would feel even as you touched it, the sense of proportion of it. How big would the torso be versus the head versus the legs? Really plan it out, really create it fully formed in the mind's eye first, starting from the inside, if you will, of how it will look completely at the end before the chisel is ever picked up. Not with the thought of getting rid of what doesn't match the picture, but rather seeing the picture first and seeing it revealed, if you will, through the marble. See, I think we have that opportunity as well picturing our lives as they might be in a state that's more loving, more joyous, uh, jobs that are more fulfilling, 
relationships that are just more copacetic and caring. Do you see the difference here? I think this is one of the ways that we can truly begin remapping our minds in a way that will make a difference. If we go about life finding what's wrong, first of all, I will tell you, you'll always find something. <laughs> have you noticed that? <laughs> if you have the mindset of, oh no, I just need to correct things. I just need to uh, you know, smooth out the wrinkles. I need to, to tune up the things that are r running ragged and so on. There will always be another thing and I think we lose sight of actually where we're going. We're really clear on what is here, the, if you will, the facts of life. But are we really seeing the truth of who we are? So let me use uh, just a few short examples here. Let's say you're experiencing loneliness. It happens to all of us from time to time, right? So we're experiencing loneliness. Now, where might we go with that? Well, first of all, if it persists for a little while, we might start saying to ourselves, I guess I better get used to this feeling. Maybe I'm just a lonely kind of guy. And then I begin observing out in the world, and I'm not the only one, right? Look at all the lonely people. I go to the mall and sit on a bench and look at all the people walking by themselves and looking sad. I start thinking of myself maybe as a loner. I even stop going to the mall. It just reminds me what? That I don't have someone to be with when I see all of those people walking together and having fun. After a while, I start saying, I'm just lonely. Not that I'm temporarily experiencing loneliness, but I start owning up to it as though that's my nature. Do you see how that's taking the outside and bringing it in and internalizing it? And the same thing happens with poverty. Let's say, uh, maybe, let's say you're out of work right now, and, uh, and although you had uh, uh, stashed away a little bit of cash, six months have gone by, and suddenly you have bills that you're really struggling to pay. Should I put them on a credit card? How am I going to deal with this? Now, that's experiencing poverty, right? That's the facts, if you will, that you don't have enough money currently to pay that particular bill. But what do we do with that? So often I see people internalizing that and starting to say things like, and at my age, I'll never get a decent job. And saying things like, there's always going to be another bill. I'm never going to get out of this debt. And viewing themselves really through the lens of poverty. And they go out in the world and they see lack everywhere. They go to the mall. I don't know why the mall's up for me today, right? <laughs> Actually, I haven't been to the Lloyd Center in a while. I probably ought to and see what it's like again. But they go to the mall and instead of seeing all of the, the fun stuff that could be purchased, instead, what do they see? all the things they can't afford. And they even would say, and what I noticed was there were very few people there that were purchasing things. Nobody's in a good position to buy stuff anymore because the world is hard and there are such limited... Do you see how it's gone from being temporarily short on cash to I'm just poor in spirit? 
and I start seeing the world through the lens of poverty, actually seeking it out to notice that I'm not alone. Well, we've got some work ahead, don't you think? It's time for the joke, but I will tell you that the first service thought it was a pitiful joke. (laughs) But I'm going to tell it anyway. So an elderly carpenter was ready to retire. He told his employer of his plans to leave the house-building business behind and live a more leisurely life with his wife, enjoying his extended family. He would certainly miss his paycheck... But it was time to retire. They would get by somehow. Well, the contractor was sorry to see his good worker go and asked for a favor. Would he build just one more house as a personal favor? Well, the carpenter said yes, but, you know, his heart wasn't really in it. After a few weeks, it was easy to see that he was cutting some corners, that his workmanship wasn't as good as it had been in the past. He was making do with mismanufactured materials and in other ways just to kind of kind of get through it. It was an unfortunate way to end a dedicated career. When the carpenter finished his work, the employer came to inspect the house, and he handed the front door key to the carpenter. This is your house, he said, my gift on your retirement. Yeah, you're hating it too. Yeah, yeah. First service really hated it, and and, uh, rightfully you're hating it too. You see, I don't think that things challenge our our dreams directly. I think it is the slow grit and dirt that follows us throughout the days that, that chip away at some of our fondest, most carefully held, most intentional dreams of the future. It's not that someone uh, comes up to us. I mean, they may occasionally, but it's not that someone comes up and challenges a dream usually. It's that through the small disappointments of life and seeing perhaps how difficult things seem, uh, uh, imagining the, the unlikelihood of achieving a dream, that you actually start ignoring it yourself. You start saying, this is too difficult. I'm going to cut some corners here. Even though that vision of the future was fully orbed in my mind and I was looking forward to it, this little bit just doesn't seem like it's going to work out. This plan seems to have had a couple missteps. Really, the best I can hope for is dot, dot, dot. And haven't we always, even in the midst maybe of a failure, said to ourselves, maybe this is as good as it gets. That's BS. I want us to have our heads in the clouds. What I know about changing our consciousness is it will never change if we find our lives in the muck. If we begin seeing ourselves through the lens of poverty, seeing ourselves through the lens of discord or anger, when we start seeing ourselves through the lens of there not being enough or or not being good enough or loving enough, when we start seeing the world and ourselves through those lenses, nothing good will come of it. 
And so I'd like us almost to revert to childhood. Do you remember a time when uh, a new idea would come into your head and nothing would stand in the way of it? There was no question but what you could do that or achieve that or being that. I want to get back there. And, uh, and I want to do a little science experiment with you today. I won't make you wear spectacles. In fact, I'm going to ask you for a moment to close your eyes. And picture your life just as it is right now. Notice the upsides to it and the downsides to it. Each of us has feelings and interpretations of our own lives built up from our existing consciousness, and there will be elements of it that give us great joy. There will be elements of it that are awkward and sometimes bring us pain. And just notice some of the, if you will, the highlights and the lowlights of your life right now. This is a creation of our thinking, of our current thoughts and beliefs. This is how we have viewed the world and then uh, internalized that a bit and viewed ourselves in that way. Nothing wrong with it. It's the way that things have been and it's the way those things that have been have created your impression of your lives right now. Now through the magic of our thinking and our consciousness, I'd like you to project your life out five years from now. I think five years is a long enough period of time that we all would agree anything is possible. In five years, your life could have taken a completely different direction, if you choose. Old relationships could be released in five years. Brand new relationships could come into being. Jobs could be released, and brand new occupations or ways of being could come into our lives. People, places, all of those exterior things truly could be different in five years. And so with me, envision this future self living in complete joy. Visualize yourselves fully feeling loved and loving. Notice how nice it is to be living the good life in prosperity, both of the heart and of the physical sentences, senses. Picture yourself in this life. Just notice yourself delighted by what's going on, by the people and the places and the situations. This truly is life. Okay, I invite you to open your eyes again. This is living with your head in the clouds. I remember when I was maybe uh, 10 years old, I think I got sent home from school one day from not paying attention in class. And I remember my mom asked what was going on, and I basically described my daydreaming <laughs> experience <laughs> for her. And she said, oh, you're just living with your head in the clouds. I would like to suggest we should do that more often. I would like to suggest, in fact, that if we could hold a dream in our head for somewhere between one week and two weeks, just like those glasses rewired some people's visual cortex, I would suggest if we could really hold on to that vision of how beautiful and joyous and loving and peaceful our lives would be, and we could really hold on to it so that's all we could see, 
that we shut out the rest of the world and the rest of the world's beliefs and ideas about how I ought to live my life and, and how desperate the world is and so on and so forth. And it was just that vision. I think that within two weeks, your life would turn upside down. I think you would begin spotting all the evidence of that belief out in the world. You'd go to the mall and you'd say, wow, everybody's joyous here today, right? And look at all the stuff that could be purchased. What a great visit. Why does everybody look so happy? And you know what? The mall wouldn't have changed any. But you would have changed fundamentally. So I have homework for you. This, yeah, well, yeah, actually, good point. You could go to the mall, but what I would like to suggest that you might want to wait a couple weeks. <laughs> I would like to suggest that for the next couple weeks, you do something in your lives to hold on to a vision you have of a better future. And so it might be some journaling that you would do every day to remind yourself of exactly how beautiful and how joyous and how loving and, and how whatever, whatever that vision you had during our little break there, whether you're writing it down in your uh, journals, whether you're doing it as a, as a prayer kind of practice every morning, envisioning it, uh, whether you uh, have a prayer partner and you describe each other's visions every day for a while, I don't know. But what I do know is if we can hold that vision in our heart and in our mind and in a palpable way to the exclusion of the BS going on in the world, you will change literally your brain. And once you have that new consciousness, once you really see yourself having that joy, having that bliss, having that love, then you will see it everywhere. It will be part of your life. There will be no denying it. And people will start responding to it. Birds of a feather, if you remember the law of attraction, will flock together. So they will pick up on that vibe. And, and suddenly you'll be surrounded by happier people and more successful people. And your vision of the world will literally be made real for you. So that's your homework. I'm going to close with a, uh, a quick reminder. We've been using What If It All Goes Right, Mindy uh, Odlin's book. And, uh, and this is out of her last chapter here. She says, when you are clear on what you want for your life, when you're clear on what you want for the world, your focus and intention will begin to give form to the invisible spiritual realm from which all ideas flow. When you are receptive to this flow, inspiration will tap at you like raindrops tapping on a summer day. Taking action based on this inspiration pulls those ideas down to earth and into its logical, physical manifestation. Rest assured, the dreams that you hold in your heart are being revealed to you. You may not see it, but be convinced it will happen. The veil between you and your desired reality must first exist in consciousness, then in reality. Let us pray. 
There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. There is only the joy and peace and love of God. This is the truth. This is the essential truth of the universe. And because God also made me, I know that those truths I may embrace as well, that God's love is mine to experience and to share. I know that God's abundance is mine. I know that the peace, that the joy, that the health, everything that is a, a, an essential truth of spirit is mine. And when I start from the inside, when I recognize these essential truths about myself and envision my world based on them, God says yes. God says yes. And so as it is true for me, I claim for each person within the hearing of my voice, find that essential truth, that vision of the future that, that shows to our own hearts, the life, the love, the peace, the joy that we desire. Hold on to that deeply. Know that it is for you. Sense it in your heart. Exclude evidence to the contrary. Focus on that life. And that life is ours to experience. And so for this, I am grateful. For this, I I simply feel blessed for the power of God moving through as the manifestation of my dreams. I hold my head in the clouds and dream. And so I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.